Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an epic-inspired podcast that brings innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. And Today's topic is one that I've spoken about here and there, and you've heard little pieces of it throughout uh, the, the last 25 episodes, but today we are diving into the world of dyslexia, and I've got our, uh, I mean, I, I've heard you called a specialist, I've heard you called the guru, I've heard you called the most amazing woman in the world, uh, Rachel Barron. I've got on the show today to help me discuss dyslexia and just kind of the ins and outs of it. Um, and, and maybe even more than just dyslexia, it's, it's a, a neuro uh, superpower. How's that? You like that? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. That is the best terminology I've heard. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to claim it right here. Uh, neuro superpower dyslexia. Um, okay. So, Rachel, who are you? How long have you been in the world of Epic, uh, of education? And then what's your role in Epic? How did you get here at Epic? Okay. Um, well, I'm just going to give my disclaimer. I'm really not anything special other than I am a mother and a teacher who struggled um, with, with helping a little boy who couldn't read. Um, he really, he really struggled despite all the best efforts from a good home and um, a teacher who really thought she knew what she was doing. So I've been in education about 17 years and uh, started at brick and mortar. I was there for a long time. Um, came to Epic two years ago as a SPED teacher. And I learned an awful lot in Epic as, as the SPED teacher, one of the SPED teachers. Um, I got a reading specialist position this last August and have just been blessed in that department to be able to be part of um, helping find dyslexia resources and helping to um, find resources and, and provide some help for struggling readers and those teachers, you know, who, who need a little assistance with that. So mm -hmm. it's it's a pleasure to work here and it's a pleasure to, to be here with you today. Boom. Well, you wanted to know my story. And for those of you that are listening, I'll go ahead and kind of divulge how um, all of this came about. And then Rach, at any time, if you want to stop me and uh, ask a question, please do, because it's going to be, it's going to feel like a monologue for a sec. But basically in fourth grade, I was diagnosed as learning disabled, um, which in math and reading, um, which made me go up the hall to a resource room and um, grab help. And you can't see my air quotes because you're listening, but uh, grab help kind of meant there was a teacher who was going to pretty much walk you to the answer. And when I say walk you to, it meant um, I knew I was going to get an A on my papers by going to the resource room and grabbing this help. Um, because there, there wasn't a whole lot of making me think on things, which, you know, I actually 
liked as a kid. I didn't have to struggle or think or anything like that. Um, the only thing I really hated was that everybody knew I went to this class um, because I was kicked out of regular class, you know? Um, anyway, I got through school, kind of. I actually was a high school dropout. I quit in uh, my senior year because they wanted me to come back and take two math classes. They pretty much were like, you do really well on all these homework assignments, but you haven't passed a test in two years. <laughs> come back and you're taking geometry and algebra two. Well, uh, that meant that I was busted cheating and uh, there was no way on earth I was coming back to school when all of my friends were done. So I, I was just, I was done. I was it. I was, I was out of there. Um, I got my GED within uh, six months of leaving school. It wasn't as if I didn't, you know, want an education. I just didn't want to be there for that education. Uh, anyway, so got my GED and, and got into Tulsa Community College, went to OSU. They um, prefer that you go to class. Uh, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I was a horrible, I mean, I was a horrible little kid. I was just like, eh, I don't want to learn. I don't, anyway, it, it was just, it was really hard for me. I had no idea how to get a grip on education, honestly, until I was about um, 24, 25. I... Uh, OSU had kicked me out. I decided I wasn't done though. Like I, I wanted to still continue to learn. And so, um, I went back to TCC and it turns out when you flunk out of a lot of classes, it costs a lot of money <laughs> to get those classes taken again. Um, which, you know, it sucks, but there it is. Um, flash forward a few more years. Uh, I got, uh, my education degree, uh, because, I, I do love education, and I was actually sitting as a paraprofessional in a fifth-grade classroom in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, and there was a teacher, Jennifer Lake, who was teaching math, and in real time, Rachel, this gal was differentiating with her kids, and she would, she would say, all right, pause, everybody, you know, look at your work, I'm going to talk to this group of people, and blah, blah, blah. All right, pause, everybody. And she was just like, she taught three different levels at the exact same moment. And nobody felt like they were being talked down to or talked up to. Uh, and I realized in that moment, oh my gosh, I can add and subtract fractions. Like it was, it was a light bulb moment for me <laughs> sitting in there. So I decided I wanted to go back to school to be a teacher like this gal because she was doing it. It didn't have to be horrible. Um, and so she's actually who got me to be a teacher. Um, fun story. I brought her to Epic, but that's a whole nother podcast. Um, my kids are now in Epic and, um, and Tatum in, in pre-K, we used the map, map test and the map test. Um, if they ranked in a certain percentile, it gave them, uh, an invitation to come to gifted and talented testing. Okay. And so Tatum scored in like the 99th percentile pre-K, kindergarten, first, second grade. And so each year she would go and she would get to talk with Tamara Shrek, who's now our special ed director. But at the time, she was just a contractor who did our gifted and talented coordinating. Um, she got into gifted and talented each year, you know, end of, end of story. Well, in third grade on her map test, she went from the 99th percentile to like the 40th percentile. 
Fourth grade, she was in the 20s. Fifth grade, she was in the single digits and low teens on her test scores. And I thought, what on earth? Surely this isn't a motivation issue, right? And so we're half, I'm I'm not trying to take it too bad, but she's now in RTI process. Each year she's identified for RTI, each test. She's given, you know, more work to kind of figure out what's going on, where are these gaps? <clears throat> and Rachel, I called Tamara because it's like this extra work is killing her. I mean, it's hard enough that we're doing the work that we're doing. She was gifted and talented. All of a sudden now she's not an RTI. What on earth? And, and she says, well, Aaron, think about it. That test, it took you from, it was reading to you for pre-K through second grade. And of course she was blowing it out of the water to now in third grade, you have to read the test. And in those passages get increasingly longer. And her issue was the motivation to read those long passages was nil. Um, And she gave me a checklist, a website to go to. It had a checklist on it. And she's like, see how many markers you hit. And girl, while I'm taking that test for her, I'm seeing that I'm dyslexic. It wasn't about, I mean, and maybe it was a learning deficiency or maybe that's all they had to to call it back then. But I never, it was never on my radar to be dyslexic because I wasn't writing letters backwards. I wasn't writing upside down or anything like that. That's what dyslexia is. You get letters mixed up or backwards or whatever. And so we were doing a math lesson with Tatum when all of this came to fruition. Um, You know, she would... Uh, she would be like, mom, I'm just so frustrated. I don't get this. And, and, and it's a problem with our online curriculum is that there's no subjectivity to it. I mean, you, there, <laughs> you get the answer wrong, then you've gotten the answer wrong. And there's no teacher unless the teacher is there with you to say, well, you had it right until this point. Or, oh, look, you've transposed the numbers. And that's what she was doing. She was transposing those numbers. Um, and so I said, okay, before you enter the next one, let me make sure you've done the math correctly. So she she shows me her work. It's all correct. I said, yep, go put it in there. And she's like, it's wrong. And I thought, what on earth have we checked that? And so I look and she had written the problem down wrong. She had transposed those numbers. And so I was like, okay, wait a second. Before you get started, let's make sure you've written the problem down. 69 times 21. Okay, 69 times 21 on the paper. All right, everything's correct. Go ahead and work the problem. She works the problem. I check it before she goes to answer it. I mean, this is our process right now. We have to make sure we've written the problem down. We have to make sure she's done it right. Now she goes to enter it in and she gets the answer wrong. And I was like, what on earth? I did the math. It's right. Well, she transposed the numbers again. And it was just a really off day for her. And, you know, I I think especially when something's starting to mount on you, it's way easier to make mistakes. Like the first mistake, you're like, err. The second mistake, you're like, ah. The third mistake, you're like, you know, screw it. I'm done. I'm done. And um, and that's kind of where we were whenever I called Tamara and Tamara gave us the checklist. And I was like, okay, here's where we are. I had no clue. And since then, it's been so helpful. <laughs> like, so helpful. Uh, but that's that's kind of our road to dyslexia. Does it sound familiar? It sounds very familiar. Yes, it absolutely sounds familiar. And what's interesting about dyslexia is, you know, it's not a one size fit all. 
So it can manifest in so many different areas and there's almost like a spectrum of it. Some people really are, you know, it affects them severely and in a lot of different areas. And some people, it's just a few minor areas and they may not even realize that they, you know, they're affected until they're older by it because it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal to them, but very familiar. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with that. Yes. Yeah. And once you understand what's going on, then you can begin to take that knowledge. And what I, what I like, what you said is you can energize your strengths. You can make accommodations for those things that you know you need help with and realize that, you know, those are some things that there's some things we have to put into place to help us. And then you can focus on those strengths. And, and a lot of people can be so successful once they realize what's going on. I love it. I love your story. Well, thank you. We had decided to um, do a little less writing because with with dyslexia, a lot of times you'll see that handwriting is atrocious. Spelling is the worst. Uh, and so when it came to proving mastery, we started having a lot of discussions with her. We would record the discussions. Uh, and then I thought, you know what? I've got a podcast that I'm doing with a buddy um, that was first or second podcast I'd ever started, but, um, I've got this pot. Why Tatum, why don't we do a podcast? And so she and I did a podcast. We called it navigating fifth grade because we, she was in fifth grade when we realized all this. And, and we started posting, um, content just kind of about her school week, you know, what, what she was learning. Um, if I wanted to do a, a mastery assignment in social studies or, you know, whatever it was, uh, her, her book that she's reading. We would talk through those things, and then I'd ask her the questions, and and we would just have these conversations. And I remember we started getting comments from across the nation, like not my friends here at Epic, not my school friends that I graduated with, but but people from across the nation. Teachers started commenting on her blog post. I mean, on her podcast that I can now see what a fifth grader is thinking. Like I teach fifth grade. This is crazy. I I didn't know that you'd think like that, you know, and, and it turns out probably not every fifth grader was thinking like that, but, um, it was, it was informing teachers on their approaches to the way they were bringing content to kids. And it was informing teachers on other ways to prove mastery besides an ABCD test. Absolutely. And it was empowering her, which is the most important thing. She oh, was she getting her it. knowledge out Yes, and she was gaining confidence and she was feeling empowered. And that's what education is about. And that's what we need to do for these students. Absolutely. So how does one, I mean, <laughs> I had a personal relationship with the gifted and talented who's now a special ed director. How does one decide or look for something when, I mean, again, if, if my only thought of dyslexia was that my R's are written backwards, how does one start to identify maybe that this is the struggle that we're going through? Because you gave a statistic, and I'm going to ask you to give the statistic again, um, but you said that it takes um, somebody with dyslexia needing to repeat something 500 times, a, a sequence, 500 times before they're getting it like before it's gotten, and, and 3,500 times if it's a severe problem. How many people do you think are just giving up at the 400th time because they're just, 
you're never going to get this. Let's put you in special education, like, or, or let's move on or whatever. How do people decide that this is what it is and then have the stamina to go to the 500th time or the 600th time? I think that's why this is such a big deal right now is because it is hard. It's hard to decide who is affected by this. Um, because first of all, we need to talk about, you know, when we talk about literacy skills across the nation or, or academic um, issues that, that we're having where we're seeing blanks in, people are, are not um, getting all the skills they need. There is a lot of lack of instruction. There's a lot of kids who've bounced around who haven't got what they need. So sometimes we get confused. We go, well, this kid is in eighth grade. He can't multiply, um, you know, or he can't read on this level. Is he dyslexic? Well, not necessarily. So, of course, we always say in our department, um, and it's good practice, we always have to check for that lack of instruction. Mm -hmm. Have they been bounced around? You know, and we always have to, to make sure that we have given them the appropriate instruction that they need. But then we need to think about dyslexia is a hidden disability. So it is an unexpected learning difference in reading, writing, and speaking. And of course, it can affect other areas. We know processing, um, there's a lot of um, math, there, there's different areas that it can affect. So some of the first um, signs in early, in early uh, childhood, if a student or child is delayed in speaking or has issues sometimes speaking that can often be a very good indicator that there's something going on in the phonological areas which have, which will affect a student um, and they're oftentimes dyslexic if they have those issues um, there are other things that you can really watch for such as sometimes processing things uh, or working memory or not being able to regurgitate information so like for my son, an example, he came from a home where literacy, I read to him before he was born in my belly, you know, um, we had a very strong uh, literature environment in my home. So here's a little boy when he was in kindergarten, um, sometimes he would have a hard time regurgitating one of the ABCs. We'd be looking through the ABC strip and we'd get to say like, gee, and he couldn't pull that letter out. So at school, sometimes they would be like, well, he, this kid doesn't even know what G is. You know, I mean, maybe his mom's not caring. Maybe he's lazy. Signs like that, when students have something unexpected, um, those are signs that, that sometimes show a, a, that there are some issues. Um, a lot of our kids, too, you'll notice um, it's just more of a recall or a, a language type issue that they have. So... Um, Sometimes you'll teach somebody like their multiplication facts or you teach them about main idea. And a lot of our students that actually are dyslexic will teach them. They'll, they'll have these skills the day we taught them, maybe even the day after. And then maybe the next day it's like a whiteboard and it's gone. And you ask them the same thing that they're supposed to be able to do because you know you taught them. They can't retrieve it and they can't bring it back to you. And so... Those are signs that a parent and a teacher can look for. There's just really unexpected um, things that students do that make you go, what? This, this doesn't make any sense compared to some of the other things that they do, you know? Um, so we just have to remember that dys dyslexia is genetic. It's common. 
it's a neurobiological um, thing and it's language based, although it can affect other areas of a student's life. Um, and there's a lot of people out there who do need our help with this. Yeah, I, you had also said something earlier and, and my friend Tara, um, whom I love and adore, she said, you know, the spoken language is so innate in us. Like we mm -hmm. are born wanting to get our message across, but what yes. isn't innate is the written language. And so nope. that's where you really start to see, uh, uh, you know, the disconnect between the brain being able to communicate written uh, versus uh, orally. What is it about those symbols that are that I mean, and you might not know because, you know, I don't know. How come they're so unrecognizable sometimes? Well, uh, reading is just not natural. Um, those symbols are not recognizable to some people because of the way that their brain works. A typical reader is able to take those symbols and the phonological areas of their brain. And I'm not a psychologist. If you were to talk to Amanda Florenzo or Daniel, Daniel Torres, they're wonderful. And they, and Tamara Schritt, they can all explain this better. But from what I understand, um, you know, about 50% of people can take those symbols and their brain will just automatically do the work for them phonologically, turning those symbols into sounds. Um, they just are able to do that. The, the part of the brain that needs to do that, that goes from neuron to neuron and makes all those things work, they're able to process those into sounds. But for those people who cannot, um, there's a breakdown in the part of the, well, I wouldn't say a breakdown. They just need more structure in that part of the brain and they need structured language to teach them how to break the code of English language because it is tough. You know, knowing that the, the trigraph IGH says I, for a lot of people, our brain doesn't automatically do that. We have to, to repetitively um, and structure in a structured environment, structured literacy, explicitly, systematically learn why do these graphemes make these sounds? And so our brains, just some people, they need some structure to learn that. Just like some of us need piano lessons to learn how to play. And other people can hear a song and they can sit down and they can play. Why is that? I don't know. It's just the way it is. So for our dyslexic population and often other people who have struggled to read, they just need that structured literacy um, that's very repetitive to help make sense of those symbols. We got the dyslexia screening from the, the legislature. They, they came out and they were like, hey, we recognize this is a thing probably. We're going to give you early screening, right? I personally am, I love that they've done it, but I am of the, the, the thought that it needs to be extended. If I didn't know it was a thing and I'm an educator, you know, it needs to be extended beyond because I don't know, in, in the early grades, they're learning to read. Everything is tricky. Everything is a challenge. But once we've moved into the reading to learn phase, it's like, whoa, this became glaringly obvious. Right. And so, but, but now at this point, it's, it's a whole lot of money to me, um, to get a diagnosis and, and, then you talk about starting to get tutoring to help, um, you know, come up with strategies and such. 
I don't have the time to get take flight certified. I don't have the time to be Wilson certified. How does somebody who is realizing this past those early screener years get help when they, they, I mean, it's not just Epic, but I mean, outside in, in any brick and mortar world, how do, how do these kiddos get help? That's a very good question. Um, so back to the house bill, the house bill 2804 is meant to be a really good thing. It's meant to catch those kids when they're younger. Um, and, and we're going to, by those screeners, we're going to be able to, to pick up a lot of those kids who are very severe at the beginning and get their brains working in some intervention while they're still pliable. Um, it'll also help find a lot of weaknesses and students who, with, with a little bit of intervention, they may not be dyslexic, can fill those gaps and go on and soar. But you're exactly right. What does a parent do of students that are a little bit older that... You know, parents realize that there's something going on. Maybe even teachers understand there's something going on. We can do all the, there's a lot of free screeners. Um, Lexercise has a free screener. DynaRead has a free screener. Um, the, if you Google free dyslexic screeners, there's a lot of them that parents can do on their children and that they can actually have children do that will check a lot of your, your encoding, decoding, working memory, uh, a lot of processing things. They're wonderful. Um, you can also check some of the, the language components of it. But what happens if you're a parent who works um, on just a regular income and you don't have time to go to school to get a curriculum to teach your child to read? There are, there's help out there. Um, there are some free, well, I say free. There are some, some pretty cheap programs out there like um, All About Reading. It is hands-on, Orton-Gillingham-based, um, and it is scripted. It comes with interactive materials and it is kind of like a watered down take flight or Wilson and it is very good for teaching reading and spelling so tools like that parents can use and what they need to remember is structured literacy is the key and these programs provide that but it's also the repeat 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 yes button so when you use any kind of program with your child you diagnostically have to go okay I know my daughter she didn't really get this lesson. She, she can't really, she's not applying this stuff. So you have to repeat it again. And that's where you have to be extremely patient until you feel like your child is ready to move to the next, next level. So there, you can even, um, you can Google on Amazon. There's a lot of Orton Gillingham based, um, like programs that you can purchase off of Amazon that will give you ideas to do with your, your child. Um, if, if you have a little bit of money to spend, you can, of course, do programs like LearnUp, Hegarty, um, Barton, and you can just order one level at a time. They're pretty cheap. Now, and parents can use Our Mind Play was written um, for dyslexic-specific kiddos. I mean, it helps all kiddos yes. in reading. Yes. But one of the things I loved Absolutely. about Mind Play was that it was, it was written by a guy whose kiddos were dyslexic. Yes. Yes, most all of these programs that we're mentioning, um, they have some advocate behind them that have, have written them for dyslexics because they have somebody in their family that is. Um, MindPlay is an actual, the, the programs I mentioned just a moment ago, most of those are offline. Those would be something that you'd sit at the table with your child and do at the table. Now, there's a lot of programs like MindPlay, Lexia, Lexercise, Nessie, Fast Forward. These are all Orton-Gillingham um, 
programs made specifically for dyslexics or students with reading disabilities that can you can utilize. Some of them are, are pretty cheap. Uh, you can utilize daily with your, your student, and it's kind of like having an online tutor. So again, there is no like fast fix for students with reading disabilities. All students, no matter what we use with them, it's going to be work, and it's going to take a parent who will have patience. Um, but if a parent has patience and a student will work hard, there's all kinds of materials out there for these students to use to be successful. Um, and, you know, a lot of our, our students who have had learning disabilities um, have changed the world. You know, Will Smith, Bill Gates, Thomas Edison, there's a million people out there who have had learning differences that have struggled and because of a great advocate who helped them um, and because of hard work, they have changed our world and because of thinking outside the box and using their strength. So there's definitely hope and there's resources to help them. Well, and I think that we have to stop defining people by their deviation to the norm. You know, uh, we've, yes. we've got to start using things and, and letting them know their strengths as well. Like you can identify a kiddo, not just dyslexic, I'm talking a wide range. We've got autistic kiddos, ADHD. You, you may have a deficit in this one area, but where do you excel? And let's use what you excel at to push where you might have that deviation from the norm, you know? Yes. I think yes. If, if, if we're pigeonholing kids, it's like um, trying to uh, identify the marks that a kid, a, a butterfly is going to have without identifying the fact that they were a caterpillar at one time. I mean, you have something Absolutely. that was <laughs> one thing and now it's totally different. And if you're going to say that the marks on this butterfly are blah, 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 you still have, it, it was a caterpillar first, you know? Absolutely. Yes. You know, my eighth grader, and I've got a fifth grader too, both of them, how I landed on two writing tests in a single year, I don't know, <laughs> but Lord, give me the strength yes. to get through this. Um, you know, yes. I, I'm, I make them write. Uh, we are trying to get the paragraph thing, you know, we, the bubbling, yes. the, the stuff like that. I know that we'll just miss it on the spelling and, and probably on the, the mechanics as well, because, uh, you know, yeah. there's lots of lower cases and I'm really, I don't give a flip if there's a lowercase letter in her writing right now. What I really want to see is that you stick with one train of thought per paragraph. Uh -huh. Um, yes, <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, I remember another thing I was going to tell you about though, is I had to memorize words. I feel like I was a whole language learner and not a phonics person because phonics just doesn't make sense to me. The idea mm -hmm. that the word though and thought have, there's an additional letter, <laughs> but they sound yeah. so completely different. It makes me crazy. Yes. And so I'm a part of a Facebook group right now, like the science of reading. And they're mm -hmm. constantly on there saying, you know, why does it sound this way in this word and this way in this word? You know, it's the exact yeah. same spelling, less one letter. Uh, why do we do that to people? Why do we do that to kids? First of all, <laughs> I, I don't know. And, and they struggle with that a lot. So like whole language works for so many people. Um, but when we talk about, when we talk about structured literacy, if we can teach kids from the beginning, how to code and decode words, and we can teach them the combination to breaking our code with phonics skills, 
then it begins to make more sense to them. And let me give you an example of this. Um, my son is 12 year, old, 12 years old now. So when he was in second grade, we started on this journey of when we had a specific learning disability or whatever. When he gets to reading, like before we started our take flight, he would get to reading and he would guess what word was going to come up using his cueing systems, whole language, right? Yeah. And he did a pretty good job with that. But when we started getting like to, and he has a pretty high vocabulary, but when we started getting like to three and four syllable words, he was totally lost. And it was because he could not break them down and decode them. So I was always thought whole language was like, uh, you know, I went through when whole language was a big deal at, at um, Northeastern State University. Um, but what I have learned with him is multisensorily, because we've started at the beginning and we've taught him how to code and phonetically break down the English language, he can now read three and four and five syllable words that he couldn't before because he's broken the code. It's very, it's an interesting thing, the science of reading. Um, but if, you know, if you're older and you've learned how to use whole language and it works for you, then you're like, well, why would you do that? But it is, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, it, but it's a technique that we use for our, our younger kids when they're still in that pliable method where they haven't learned to use the other means of, of, of finding meaning to what they're reading. So, Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. I, it's so funny that, um, I've said in other uh, episodes before, but, um, you know, again, didn't I didn't phonics. And so my very first year, uh, they had sent me to a classroom of pre-K, kindergarten, and first graders. Yeah, three grades mixed together. Um, and I remember, like, I did a lot of research because I, I did not get early childhood certified on purpose. Um, but they had sent me to this class, and so I did all this Pinterest research and you're supposed to have a word wall. And so I had a word wall because you're supposed to. And we were going through it and it was, this is the letter A and it says A and it says ah. And so then um, we moved to the next one and it was at. And it was uh, ah. And we, we made those sounds and we, you know, we're, we're trying to do it all together. And then I was like, and you can even add a letter C in front of that. And it's at. Look at us. We're reading and saying all these words. Well, the very next word on the, the list was car. And when I tried to sound out that out with phonics, I was like, er, care. It's like, well, that's how they say yeah. it in Boston. And I'll figure out why we say it different in the Oklahoma. And I just remember doing so much extra research that year because I had no yeah. earthly idea how to teach those little kids how to read. I feel so horrible. I, I apologize I to, to all you books. parents out there. <laughs> Oh man, uh, Rachel, I'm going to have to have you on the show again because we've, we've only like scratched to the surface. We've only met today, so it doesn't seem fair to end at 36 minutes. Can you come back for a part two sometime? I would love that. Thank you for having me. I, and thank you for doing, thank you for being our advocate for dyslexia and getting all of this out there. Awesome. Well, that is all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit that like button and subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, you should rate the podcast and leave us a comment. Tune in next week where, we're, where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.